and welcome to Poetry Blokes, the podcast where one bloke likes poetry and the other doesn't. I'm Matthew Adamo, failed novelist, third-rate poet, and now a beleaguered poetry teacher. And I'm Rich Gochran, a moderately successful engineer and lifelong lover of things that actually matter, like football, cricket, and the ability to make stuff out of wood. I don't hate poetry, but I do think it's a loss of words in a confusing order to say very little. Join us in this series of podcasts as we rummage into the recesses of Rich's mind, pull forth any literary force that may be lying dormant, and see if the world's most literal man can acquire the soul of a poet. He doesn't even believe in souls, so I've got my work cut out already. In this episode, we're looking at If by Rudyard Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise, if you can dream and not make dreams your master, If you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing 4-4 fucking 2. (laughs) Well, Rich, what's that all about? Hello, mate. Cards on the table. I was aware of this poem prior to this episode. It's a fairly famous one, isn't it? It is, yeah. Made famous by that Talk Talk advert or some other broadband provider. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, before that, it was relatively unknown, but they've really brought it to the forefront of English. Was it Plusnet? Plusnet. Yeah, Yorkshire based. Plus net. They are a broadband provider for anybody who's not British. Uh, other broadband providers are available. <laughs> That's what they say on the babe, isn't it? We definitely don't have to follow those stringent rules. <laughs> no, we don't. I don't have plus net, actually. So, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Already distracted. I can see why this is a popular, famous poem. It's enjoyable. It's good. It's pretty Route 1 stuff, I think. It's all laid out there for you. I'm going to launch into my general vibe, Matt. That's all right. Please do. Launch away. 
Now, this is very much up my street because what Rudyard, Rudyard has done is written an algorithm, hasn't he? Oh, go on. He's written a series of if, else, or statements. Yes. In a sequence, each one leads into the next. He's setting criteria and what is required to meet those criteria. But it's just one long algorithm. It's an algorithm for being a man. Do you think that when the robot workforce comes along that they will just program this into them <laughs> to make them <laughs> a, a late 19th century man? <laughs> yeah, they will, basically. But what I would say is this, this algorithm sets, I would say, quite a high bar for being a man. It's so high that I think I only fulfil 90% of the criteria. Yeah, I'm not even sure I'm... I mean, 50 would be good. I think most people will probably 10 to 20% map. And you're at 90 already? Yeah, because I'm exemplary. Okay. Ex- explain yourself. <laughs> well, once we get into the poem, Matt, you'll see, you'll see how I tick all these boxes. In 1943, people looked at me and said, now there's a man. There wasn't much going on in 1943. There certainly wasn't any valour or, or you know, people putting their lives on hold to do acts of heroism uh, and everyday acts of kindness, were there? Yeah, definitely a quiet period of history, right? Yeah, nothing. The only thing, the only question that came to mind, well, it's not the only question because I've got loads of questions for you, actually. But the first question that came to mind was, what are his credentials for setting such stringent criteria? What? Why does he feel he's in a position to ask me all these bloody questions, eh? I think he would say, well, I don't even know what he'd say, but Roger Kipling is like almost an exemplar version of a colonial Englishman. He was actually born in India during the imperial rule of India. Oh, right. Oh, was he? Yeah, he was. So he's... he's, So that sort of blows my theory out of the water. I had a theory because I read the poem and then I got sidetracked thinking about his name for ages. Because Rudyard, <laughs> Rudyard is such a weird name. Yeah, it is unusual, isn't it? And so I thought, why would somebody come up with that name? And I thought, well, Rud, it probably means red, ruddy, red. Okay. Red yard. Why would you have a red yard, Matt? Uh, You've got two options in my mind. Something to do with the soil. Abattoir. Content. That wasn't what I thought, but sure. Brickmakers. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, mm, let's give him the benefit of doubt. Let's say he probably doesn't come from a family of abattoir owners, but almost certainly he comes from a family of brickmakers, probably from the town of Kipling. You know, that's where names, surnames often came from, either from a, a profession or from an area. And so I figured his dad was a brickmaker who did very well for himself, was very proud of his business, and so named his son after his first love. The making of bricks. I call this child Brick. <laughs> so you're telling me that's not true? I'm actually telling you that's absolutely true. Wow. Rudyard means red yard in Old English. Yes! God. Who knew that this podcast was going to make me cleverer? There you go. It's always, always the bloody Anglo-Saxon, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I'm absolutely chuffed about that. So I'm right. His dad was a brickmaker, probably. In India, though, you're telling me, not in Kipling. I don't know what his dad did, actually, but I haven't really researched his family line. Kipling was a teacher, I think. Really? Yeah. Let's not get bogged down in this. Let's focus on the... No, his father was a teacher. His father was an artist and a teacher. Oh. Is that, what's he doing in India, then? Just artisting around. <laughs> well, maybe he was teaching in India. 
Could have been teaching a school in India. Um, yeah, could have been. Sounds like you're guessing to me though, Matt. I've got no response. <laughs> <laughs> because I am. Right, let's launch straight into it then. Well, a bit late for that, actually. It's called If Dash. Why is there a dash? He felt like just calling it If was insufficient. He was worried if he called it If, people would think that there's about somebody called If. <laughs> yeah, or I, I guess if you called it If, it might just be like a choice between one thing or one other thing. Like, if I do this or if I do that. But he's actually saying, as you said before, it's quite a lot of nested ifs here. Like, yeah. If this happens, then this happens. But if this happens, also this happens. And then if this or this, then that. Fair enough. I think, I think that's why there's the dash. Cool. Okay. That's good enough for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. So he sets a series of conditions, a series of uh, criteria for being, uh, in his terms, a good man. I'm doing inverted commas with my fingers there. Uh, I can verify that. Rich is doing that. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. Yeah, thumbs up for me on that one. I think that's a good criteria. Somebody mm. who's calm and relaxed. And if people are blaming you, just take on the gin and carry on working on, on the problem. I think that's a good criteria. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. Again, thumbs up. Good. Yeah. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting. Mate, that is the aspiration of my entire life. Well, and you just can you wait for something and not be completely bored by the act of waiting? Jeez. This week, Matt, can I tell you about a story of waiting? Yes, you can. Can I just say to the yeah. listener, I have a feeling I know what the story is, and it is more interesting than you might think of a story about waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Let them be the judge. This week, I waited for a period of three and a half hours and I got absolutely nothing out of the experience. It was purely <laughs> a selfless act. I was taking an evening stroll with my wife around a lake that's nearby our house and as we were walking back to the car, a guy on a skateboard went past us and we were walking up an incline and he was coming down the incline. At the bottom of the incline, there's like a little dip that's very, um, you wouldn't necessarily notice it if you were, didn't know the area well. And he hit the dip. And he came off his skateboard and landed quite heavily. Uh, so I turned around and I was in two minds about whether to stop or not because I thought... Rich hates strangers. I'm just putting I don't, it out I there. Don't, I don't hate strangers. I just... Distrust? I just thought, oh, I'm, he'll be all right. He'll just get up and brush himself off. He'll be fine. Skateboarders fall off all the time. Anyway, I kept an eye on him as, as I watched him try to get up and he sank back to the floor quite evidently in quite a lot of pain and so I went over to him and said oh you're right and I looked at his leg and where his top of his leg was bendy where it shouldn't have been bendy and basically he'd broken his femur okay hang on so the top when you say top of the leg here oh so the top of the leg is by the kneecap is what we're saying oh above, no sorry above the kneecap no above the, the kneecap below actually, the yes hip, he'd broken his femur and his leg was an odd shape basically that's actually quite dangerous to break your femur I think, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's the old wife's tale or the story that goes around school that you can go into shock from breaking your femur and then die. And then there's the story about the rugby player whose leg dislocated and then they popped it back in and it trapped his testicle and then he screamed himself till his vocal cords ripped. Did you hear that one? Oh, I think half of that story is true. I can imagine someone popping someone in and then getting caught, but the screaming himself till he ripped his vocal cords. That sounds extreme. Yeah. But that's a story that went around school. 
Uh, I doubt either of them would. True. Anyway, so yeah, I called an ambulance and due to years of austerity and poor management by the government, it took three and a half hours for the ambulance to arrive. No fault of their own. I have nothing but respect for them. But it is a challenge to your old reds criteria to sit on a concrete floor for three and a half hours with somebody you don't know whilst they sort of go a funny colour. What did you talk about? Oh, everything. We covered every possible conceivable Although conversation topic for somebody you don't your, know. Your wife, Steph, was there with you and she is a master of small talk. So I imagine she was in her element. Yeah, she's an expert conversationalist. Yeah. She was very good, obviously, because she's a, she's a very well-rounded, capable adult. Unlike. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's me. No, we, we covered everything. We covered his family history. I know his name, his date of birth, and his address. So I'm willing to give those to people for money. Uh, <laughs> Great. It's more than you know about me. <laughs> oh, that's true, actually. I couldn't tell you your date of birth if you paid me. I could tell your date of birth. Not on the air, please. Can I say it and then we beep it out so no one knows? Yeah, sure. 15th of. Correct. What year? 19. Correct. Yes. Huzzah! I'm hacking your bank account as we speak. I want to say you're much. Correct. Twist. Oh, it's close. It's close enough to... St- oh, we can still be friends. Okay. I'd say. It's a... Tw- ah, two days. as well. I was born on Mother's Day, 1980. My mother went into labour during a Mother's Day lunch. She still reminds me that she was unable to finish the lunch and that was upsetting <laughs> to her. I counter with the fact that her labour was six hours, so I came out like a shot. Wow. That's born, yeah, ten past six in the evening. As my dad likes to remind me, every time I say, Dad, what time was I born? He says, ten past six, I was watching Planet of the Apes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who'd have thought somebody with a face the size of yours would be born in six hours? (laughs) I was the second child, though, so. Oh, right, yeah. Respect to my sis for clearing the way. (laughs) Pathfinder, we call her. Oh dear. Anyway, so there's my tale of woe about waiting. And I tell you, it was a real test of patience. I could imagine. Yeah, we did. We covered the same topics quite a few times. However, shout out to Ewan. Hope you're feeling all right, mate. Sorry about the leg, but it serves you right. You shouldn't skateboard. You're an adult. How old was he, though? 24. Oh, that's all right. That's cool. Shout out to Ewan, who's hopefully getting attended to by some friends and well wishes. Oh, I thought you were going to say saucy nurses. Saucy nurses. <laughs> the best kind of nurse. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we've gone a bit laddie. Let's rein it back in. It's just no, nothing more laddie than tending to a man with a broken leg. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's. Let's, let's, let's. Do you have a premier product or sensational service that Poetry Bloke listeners would love? Advertise with us to reach an audience who love to laugh, are obviously very cool and sophisticated, and have immaculate taste. I mean, they're here listening to this gold, aren't they? Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash advertising to advertise with us today. So if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating. I'm thumbs up to all of those. So far, criteria-wise, I'm with Roddy. And yet, don't look too good nor talk too wise. It's lost me there, mate. Tick for you. It's where I fall down. Constantly looking too good and talking too wise. (laughs) (laughs) He's a real wise talker. 
Yeah. So yeah, other than that last line, absolutely spot on that first stanza, I think. Good. <laughs> I was I was going to say something and it just evaporated in my mind as I was about to say it and I can't remember what it was. So absolutely torturous segue there. So the first stanza good. What about the second stanza? So again, quite happy with this, generally. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. I agree. Can't be daydreaming all the time. You've got to get down. down Do you there. dream? What are your dreams like? As I, I mean, like literally when you're I'm asleep. I'm a human being. I'm not just like a, a robot. <laughs> Blade Runner-esque there. Yeah. The robot stream. Uh, uh, never uh, seen Blade Runner. What? Are you serious? Yeah. That's one of my, one of my favourite films. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> we'll have to... What should we mean it's neither here nor there? <laughs> My the fact that it's your favourite film doesn't mean I have to have watched it. Well, no, but it's one of the acclaimed films. Also, my outrage is directly linked to the fact that I like it. That's why. So we should watch it together at some point. I think you'd like it. It'd be a lot like reading a poem, actually. I think you'd be like, I like it. I don't understand some of it. Bits of it are annoying to me because they're not clear. That's what I imagine the feedback would be. Well, yeah, maybe one day we'll watch it. Put it in yeah. the diary. We'll get a date we in. should do that. Get a date in. Post-birth. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be busy, actually. We'll figure something out, mate. We'll watch it together, I promise. Do I dream at night was your question. Yes, I do dream at night. They range from the mundane to the sexy. Hello. And everything in between. But here he's talking about ambition, isn't he, really? What do you dream of doing? I'm not sure if I've got any big dreams. Most of my big dreams we've discussed previously on this podcast, they tend to be around you know, living on my own in a forest. Yeah, wooden um, shack. Wooden shack. Uh, have you got any dreams? Well, you know, I've always wanted to run my own business. And that'd be good. Have you? At some point. Yeah. 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 What? I haven't quite figured that out yet. Peddling your poems to. You could be like a caricature. You've got to finish that sentence. With or... poems. You could sit in Covent Garden and just write poems for people. People would come along, you'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll pen you a poem. Sure. This actually happened when I was in Vauxhall in London. I was just on my merry way, and some guy was flogging like little, little pamphlets of poetry, and he was like, Pamphlet of poetry, it's only a pound. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, fair enough. I like poetry. I bought the poetry pamphlet. I thought, yeah, well done. Writing your own poetry or whatever, putting it out there. Bit of, bit of business acumen, like it. Let's have a look at these poems. They were the ravings of a madman. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I like basically stapled together in a pamphlet. They were atrocious poems. Doggerel, that's the word, doggerel. They were so bad that I just normally like drop a pound, like you drop a quid and you wouldn't even notice that it's gone. Yeah. But I felt slightly angry that I'd spent a pound on it. Like when Do you, you give a pound to... When, no, I, I was, honestly, I chucked it as soon as I could. Oh, mate, that could have been a whole episode then. A pound to a busker, no problem. The, the busker played music. A pound to a bad busker. poet, that's where you draw the line. <laughs> a, a pound to a bad poet. Yeah, because I felt like it was a personal affront. Because it was like, I could write better than this and charge more than a quid. You're having a laugh. You're a con artist. Uh, yeah, so um, I shan't be doing that. Yeah, um, I don't know, business-wise, but I think I could do that. That's my dream. But, you know, as Rudyard says, um, I think, but I don't make thoughts my aim. So, All right. That's fair, because as we established last week, thinking makes me sad. <laughs> yeah it does yeah <laughs> so the fewer thoughts you have the better and certainly don't make them your aim that's sadness personified it's interesting how old Ruddy writes if you can meet triumph and disaster and capitalises both of them like yes. they're like people or things well I picked up on that and I assumed he's talking about the motorcycle company triumph yeah I don't know another motorcycle company called disaster 
but essentially it looks to me like he's in the market for a motorcycle. So he obviously has an issue with the Triumph Motorcycle Company because he thinks they're an imposter. So he obviously has, has some feelings on the quality of the motorcycles they're providing. That's the only possible explanation. Yeah, I thought there could be two dogs. If you meet with Triumph for Disaster, they're imposters because they're actually dogs. <laughs> Pretending to be... <laughs> they're two dogs in a trench coat and a hat. Trying to get to the cinema. Trying to get to the cinema and to be a human, yeah. <laughs> I also like twisted by knaves. We don't use the word knave enough for my liking. I like to bring it back. Also, an oft-forgotten part of the um, national anthem is the line that says, confound their knavish tricks in relation to those wily Scots. Oh, is it? Yeah, fourth or fifth verse, I believe. Do you have to keep an eye on them? <laughs> those knaves? Nah, you're great. Quick, do a Scottish accent. Bring it back. <laughs> no, we've, I've learned my lesson about accents. <laughs> Warmly received, I would say, my previous accent attempt. Yeah, thank you to the generous and kind-hearted people of Ireland who uh, took it on the chin, as you say, and let it go. <laughs> I've been offered lessons. Yeah, yeah, I've been offered. Thank you, Michael, for our fan, Michael, who uh, offered rich lessons and whom I replied and said, yes, please, he desperately needs them. <laughs> when are you available? I am a bit busy at the moment, unfortunately, so my lessons will have to wait. But you know, up to that point, I'm not going to do any more accents. It's probably for the best. So that's about people twisting your words and not getting all caught up about it. That's fair enough. Just let people take your words and paint you as a knave. And then it gets quite dark after that. I wouldn't say there's a massive amount of darkness in this poem, for once. Yeah. This is actually a very positive poem. Yeah, nobody dies in it. Nobody or... dies in it. No mention of time. We've got yeah. all the time in the world on this. Yeah. So actually, yeah, it confounds all my normal criticisms or, or observations of poetry. This is a brand new type of poem, the algorithmic poem. But this is the only <laughs> bit that gets a little deeper. Or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. Probably talking about relationship there, isn't he? Is he building up a woman? Well, no, building up a relationship. Dedicated his life to this relationship. That relationship's now broken. It's over. Something went wrong. They've forgiven each other and now they're going to stoop and build it back up again. They've hit a bump in the road in their marriage, maybe. Other than that, it's literally he spent his life building a, a house. <laughs> he's come home. It's fallen down. He's got to start again. Watch the things you gave your life to broken. Like, what have you given your life to? Well, I haven't given my life to anything. Wise. Can't break um, it down. Not a particularly dedicated individual, really. I haven't really tried anything or achieved anything, so <laughs> I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> Rich well in the comfort zone there. My advice to everybody is don't try very hard. Just go with the flow. And put it out of the bag when you need to. That's it. If we're digging into things, I've had a really easy life. Yeah. So, yeah. and I acknowledge that not everybody can get away with doing the bare minimum and still end up in a decent job with a nice life. So I appreciate how easy it's been for me. Rich's in-school talks programme will be resuming soon, where Rich talks, <laughs> talks to sixth formers and university <laughs> entrants about life. Yeah, why are you trying so hard, guys? Have you not thought about just, you know, being cool, man? Just just not? Just how have you thought about just not trying? Richard Gochran's demotivational speaking. If you've got a class of uppity little go-getters, get me in, I'll bring them down. Absolute mood hoover. <laughs> But then, hang on a minute, hang on, let's change this around. This isn't painting me in a good light at all. It's making me sound awful. Come on. Well, I was going to professionally segue into saying Kipling 
then talks about making a heap of all your winnings and then blowing it on pitch and toss. I completely disagree with Kipling on this one. Oh, Kippers. Kippers. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginning. Right, so pitch and toss, I'm guessing it's 50-50, isn't it? Yeah, you just chuck a thing over it. Just toss a thing and it's which side it lands on, yeah? Yeah. You can put everything on a 50-50 and then just not care about losing it. Yeah. Come on, man. And then he says, and never breathe a word about your loss. Well, yeah, don't breathe a word about it because everybody you meet would go, yeah, you're a fucking idiot, mate. <laughs> Why didn't you soundly invest it? Why don't you stick it in a nice stocks and shares ISA? Don't just put it all on a 50-50. Do you have a stocks and shares ISA? I don't want to talk about my financial situation. <laughs> Is that after demotivating most of the listeners? <laughs> I'm comfortable and that's all you need to know. Actually, I'm not because I had to buy a new bloody roof, haven't I? I spent all my money. Yeah, but you're comfortable in the fact that... I'm comfortable in that I've got a dry house now. That my yeah, so dry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting distracted again. So yeah, he lost me there. I don't agree with that one as a good criteria. I suppose what he's saying there is that you should be willing to take risks. And I suppose in some parts of life that is necessary. Sometimes you do have to take a leap, bit of a leap of faith. I'm sort of going back on my point here, but as long as it's not financial, I agree with him that you need to take the occasional risk. But I don't think financially you should be going for all 50-50s. That seems insane. So but I'm risk averse. So Don't bother inviting Rich to any pitch and toss game or any other game of skill slash chance because he will just suck the energy out of the room there and say, I don't even know why you're bothering. Why are you bothering betting on this? You've, well, you play poker with me. You know it's no fun at all. Yeah, actually, but I, I, it's difficult with poker because I'm in no position to comment on anything because I've only ever played like four games or five games. I feel like I've come on leaps and bounds, but my strategy is, is not a winning one. So nevertheless, I can't really uh, critique anybody else's no, approach. No, I'm no great poker player. Neither of us are really. So maybe we're not qualified to comment on games of skill or chance. We're probably... <laughs> I think I do agree with Kipling because it probably suits my personality that if you risk everything on pitch and toss... You have to get used to starting again at your beginnings without breathing a word of it. It's just, that is the way it goes. Because you lose more than you win. No, not if it's 50-50, you don't. You lose about the same amount as you win. Mate, I'm telling you. <laughs> I've lost more 50-50s than I've won them. <laughs> Anywho. So, um... I liked if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone. It's like, what well, sinews are fucked off. <laughs> <laughs> they've had, no, they've had enough they're gone absolutely gone <laughs> you're just lying there in a heap on the ground you're like you're right, mate. Oh, come back come back <laughs> um, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except like literally he means that literally it's, we're not even figuratively <laughs> talking figures anymore if your heart and your nerve and your sin you have gone yeah. you are just a floppy mess when you're just a bag of skin <laughs> Your bag of skin on the pitch and toss field. Yeah, try and try and start again at the beginning when you're a bag of skin, mate. Give that a go. <laughs> All right, skin bag. <laughs> oh, the old skin bag. So hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. Again, he's, he's capitalised will there, so he's talking about his friend William. Yep. Or the illegal document indicating what should happen in the event of his death. Is that where your solicitor says you should really hold on to your heart and nerve and sinew? His will that's held by his solicitor just says the words, 
Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Which is completely, <laughs> completely this is useless. useless. <laughs> going through, it's going to take ages to get through probate. They're going to be like, oh, what does this mean? I've got no idea. Hold on to it. Hold on to everything. Does anybody know where his nerves and sinews are? <laughs> <laughs> does anybody know what he wanted done with this bag of skin? <laughs> are we to bury it? You need to move this, otherwise the council will find you. <laughs> the last stanza is a bit of a barnstormer, isn't it? He's in the home straight here. He's in the home straight, very much so. I've written, my note is, rousing stuff. Yeah, rousing stuff. So it starts, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, fair enough. Mob mentality is a no-no in Kipling's world. Or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. I've got no problems there. I don't know any kings. Uh, I don't really have a common touch. Most people do not like me. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. Now, I'm a bit worried about him there. He's got loving friends that want to do him in. Not that. It's that it's, I think it indicates to me that he's not willing to open up and be vulnerable in front of others. I mean, this was written a while ago, so I don't think the notion of sort of the modern sensitive man had made it to him. So I think it's important to talk openly with your friends about how you're feeling and about how they're feeling, Matt. For example, today, I called you handsome. You did. I, I was flattered. <laughs> I really meant it. I also think the way you express vulnerability is by taking off your clothes so that your most vulnerable areas are exposed. Yeah, it's one way I do it, yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's happened a lot. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. It happens less now. Well, only because we don't really see each other that much. It's not fun to do it over video call. Actually, no, actually, the last time I did it... We were... <laughs> I remember last time I did it, we were on a video call, yeah. Yeah, you can't, can't stop yourself. Can't uh, stop yourself. No. Proud of my body, mate. <laughs> so it should be. Body positivity. Yeah, I mean, again, it's not much to write home about, but it does the job, and I like it. <laughs> I'm all about it. There's no real definition, no real tone. It's just sort of a, a bag of skin, I suppose. An old skin bag. <laughs> if all men count with you, but none too much... Yeah, he's talking about Rachel Riley there, isn't he? <laughs> so he's a fan of Countdown. That's good. God lover. I didn't really understand that. All men count with you, but none too much. Does he mean like count on you? Anybody you, you would meet, they could rely on you to be all of the above. But no one's too reliant on you. You're not codependent. I think that is what he means, yeah. Okay. That's what I took from it. Thumbs up, Ruddy. I agree with that. And then it all goes to shit, Matt. Oh, really? Okay. It all goes to S, Matt, because I don't really understand what the next bit says. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Yep. You're going to have to walk me through that one. He's basically saying if you could put 100% of effort in. Mm, but I fundamentally disagree with that. Even if it's unforgiving. Yeah, but you, you're a man who's based his life on putting in literally less than 100% where possible. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the basis of the disagreement. <laughs> oh, okay. I understand it now. Yeah. Why is it unforgiving that minute? It's not letting up on you. It's a difficult moment. Mm, okay. He here has a strong feeling, basically, that life is a meritocracy based on that mm. sentence, which we all know it isn't. Spoiler alert. Especially when you're born into the empire in India. Yeah. <laughs> in the I mean, in the 19th century. So he's talking from a very privileged position here. In fact, all of it, there is a lot of privilege in this. All of these things are great if you've already got everything. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So yours is the earth and everything that's in it. It already is, mate. So, like you've literally gone to India and it's all, you've, you've nicked it all. <laughs> so, yeah. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. What accent was that, just for the listener? That was my accent. <laughs>
What's that from? Go on, my son. Go on, my son. What accent is that? I don't know. It sounds like a, dare I say it, a bad Irish one. Oh, no, not again. He's lapsed. <laughs> Nurse, no. get the drugs. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. So like we said, it's rousing. It, it really it goes to a crescendo, this this poem. Mm. Yep. I mean, it's a nice little poem, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say it's, you know, of its time. If we cast our minds back to Rupert Brooke in episode two, where we looked at the sort of jingoistic war poetry of the time. Yeah. Of the First World War. I'd say this, again, Kipling sort of in that vein. And this is a poem that sort of espouses those colonial views. I mean, it's written in 1943, right? And I guess it's meant to be... Well, actually, no, that's a lie. This comes from a choice of Kipling's verse from 1943. This doesn't mean it's actually written then. While Matt looks that up, let me tell you about the beer I'm drinking today. I'm drinking a Brewdog Punk AF alcohol-free IPA. Alcohol-free because at any moment, my wife might go into labour, and so I cannot be half cut. That's Brewdog Punk AF for the man whose wife is almost in labour. Actually, this poem was written in 1895. Oh, it's much older than I thought. Oh, I've made the same mistake as you. It said 1943 at the bottom of the uh, thing I've read to say. 1895. What was happening then? Poor war. Yeah, poor war, wasn't it? Bit of rousing speech for the lads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to go into that too much. Should I tell you a little bit about Rudyard Kipling? Old Redyard Kipling. Well, as is befitting structure and history, uh, I'm reading this from the BBC. So, Rudyard Kipling uh, was born in Bombay, India, on the 30th of December, 1865. His father was an artist and a teacher, as we discussed. In 1870... Kipling was taken back to England to stay with a foster family in Southsea and then go to boarding school in Devon. Hmm. In 1882, he returned to India and worked as a journalist, writing poetry and fiction in his spare time. His books, such as Plain Tales from the Hills in 1888, gained success in England and in 1889, Kipling went to live in London. In 1892, he married Caroline Ballestier the sister of an American friend, and the couple moved to Vermont in the United States, where her family lived. He had two daughters, and he wrote The Jungle Book in 1894. In 1896, a quarrel with his wife's family prompted Kipling to move back to England, and he settled with his own family in Sussex. Ooh, quite the quarrel. His son John was born in 1897. Hmm, is that still with the wife, or...? They had a quarrel, and then they got in one last sesh. And then they went their separate ways. Uh, so by now, Kipling had become an immensely popular writer and poet for children and adults. His books included Storky and Co., Kim, and Puck of Pook's Hill. The Just So stories were originally written for his daughter, Josephine, who sadly died of pneumonia when she was six. The Just So stories came out in 1902. Kipling turned down many honours in his lifetime, including a knighthood and the Poet Laureateship. Oh, that doesn't seem very in line with the picture I built up in his head. I thought he'd absolutely mm. love having a night. But in 1907, he accepted the Nobel Prize for Literature. Oh, okay, go on then. All right, then I'll have the million quid that goes with that. Sure. He was the first English author to be honoured with this award. In 1902, 
He bought a 17th century house called Bateman's in East Sussex, where he lived for the rest of his life. He also travelled extensively, including repeated trips to South Africa in the winter months. In 1915, his son John went missing in action while serving with the Irish Guards in the Battle of Luz during World War I. He had great difficulty accepting his son's death, having played a major role in getting the chronically short-sighted John accepted for military service, and subsequently wrote an account of his regiment, the Irish Guards in the Great War. He also joined the Imperial War Graves Commission and selected the biblical phrase inscribed on many British war memorials, their name liveth forevermore. He died on 18th of January 1936 and is buried at Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey, eh? Not a shabby place to serve out. Any. I thought there wasn't a poet's corner to throw back to. Uh... Did we do that poem? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> poet's corner. Did we do that one in the end? <laughs> oh, we didn't do it. We canned it. We didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've derailed you there. Now you've heard a little bit about Roger Kipling, how do you feel about the poem? Oh, I feel the same. Okay. Contact has had no, no impact on me whatsoever. Great. I think we should move swiftly on to <laughs> <laughs> your engineer's overview of this poem. So, uh, Rich, would you like to give us your engineer's overview of yeah. If? As it's you, Matt. If by Rudyard Kipling. In order to be considered a man by me, Rudyard Kipling, owner of Kipling's Bricks, <laughs> you must meet a stringent set of criteria. Upon successful completion, you will receive planet Earth. The end. That's lovely. That's quite nice on your first day of work. It's motivational, isn't it? By the end mm. of this course of this apprenticeship, you will inherit the entire Earth. Yeah. Which will subsequently be inherited by the meek. And on that note, we'll bring this episode to a close. So thank you very much, Rich. Thank you very much, Matthew. So please join us next week when we look at The Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. I should tell him that I think he's a handsome young man. Do you have a well-known poem you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you've written your own engineer's overview you'd like to share. And if you have an embarrassing poetry-related story, well, then you definitely have to get in touch. Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash submissions now to let us know all about it and you could play a part in the next show. Poetry Blokes is created and hosted by Matthew Adamo and Richard Gochran. Our theme music is Press Start by The Laszlo Project. Buy their music by going to bandcamp.com and searching The Laszlo Project. Our producer is Dominic Gore.